You are listening to the Ipsos Mori Elections podcast, where we will be taking a data-driven look at the 2019 general election and possibly beyond. Each episode will feature a panel of distinguished guests looking back at the past week of the campaign and asking who's up, who's down, and what should we be looking out for in the next week. We will also be delving into the data, looking at some Ipsos Mori polling, and asking our experts to explain what's behind the trends we see. Hopefully, we'll have some fun along the way too. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the Ipsos Mori Elections podcast. My name is Kieran Pedley, and we're on episode two of this exercise. And we're very much looking forward to uh, chewing over the, the latest uh, information from the campaign and the latest numbers. And to do so, I'm joined by Tom Rowley, who writes about Britain for The Economist, and Dan Saber, The Guardian's elections sophologist. Uh, welcome to you both. Thank mm. you. Thanks for having us. So, I mean, we'll start at the beginning as we always do, um, about what we've noticed, talking about what we've noticed from the second week of the campaign. So, Tom, I mean, we've had a lot going on in the past few days. What stood out for you? Um, I think probably the same as, as what stood out for, for anyone watching a TV or, or reading a newspaper in the last few days, which is that no one would have expected that Prince Andrew would emerge as this sort of surprise star of this election so far. Um, I, I mean, he's definitely stolen the most column inches and, and TV attention um, this week since his interview uh, on Saturday. And um, I can't imagine that Labour and the Lib Dems will be thrilled about um, a member of the royal family knocking their uh, manifesto launches off the newspaper front pages, gobbling up a lot of airtime. Um, so, uh, you know, obviously huge ramifications for the royal family and for uh, the victims of, of Jeffrey Epstein. But um, uh, from, from a political point of view, I think the only ramification, the only implication is that the, the Tories will be, you know, happy that, that their election uh, the manifesto launch will probably not be overshadowed in the way that Labour's and the Lib Dems has been. I think it's also reflective. <coughs> I absolutely agree. Prince Andrew is the sort of, you know, the thing that the public will have noticed this week. Um, and I think that's also partly reflective of the fact that this, this election campaign hasn't quite taken off. It's hit, if anything, a bit of a bit of a flat spot and uh, partly I think that we are you know somewhat overdosed on politics and I think the high tempo of the Brexit crisis <coughs> in the run-up to the end of October uh, you know not and also not the first time we've had a period of high tempo in the last year but that's what I, that, that 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 absolutely sort of sucked suck the kind of political energy out of the nation and it was really interesting after initial flurry of who's standing and who's not always a kind of always what you get in the opening part of an election campaign Things have th things have markedly slowed down. Anyway, that said, of course, there are two things to th think about this week. One of them is the uh, is the head to head TV debate, and it was watched by six point seven million people, uh, and 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 clearly would be, I think, is the thing that will percolate through the system. Uh, uh, not just because as the folks who watch the time and it gets discussed about, but now you know, the, the, as the, in the mode of the times, everything gets clipped, and people are trying to sort of it's the clips that are circulating on the internet, and I think there seems to be initial feeling. Uh, uh, that Labour have done a kind of better and more aggressive job of uh, of clipping the TV debate and hopefully getting some of Corbyn's best moments out there. Now, the reality is, uh, uh, I think the debate was quite finely, was actually quite finely balanced. 
there were uh, it was clear the audience uh, uh, were quite skeptical actually and laughed at two key points they laughed at Boris Johnson on trust which is a big big problem for him and yet Corbyn didn't quite make as much of this as he might uh, uh, you know in the end people just look at Boris Johnson I think in the back of my mind is well how does he treat women and how many kids has he got and and, and that is something that Labour that is something that Corbyn could have exploited better but I think in the end Corbyn was in a lot I think more significant trouble because he could not really cut through his the party's rather contorted Brexit policy. Presenting it as a choice is all very well, but Corbyn himself couldn't seem to make it make the choice. And this was something Boris Johnson really really went for him on, wasn't yeah. it during the debate? And I think just to sort of and I think the final point here on the debate is for, for as I saw it was you know get Brexit done does look like a ma- potential match winning slogan. You know it has that quality of take back control about it, uh, and it may not you know and is. You know, sort of, it resonates with something that, that that people very much feel in a way that strong and stable never did. It's also, I mean, it's just admirably clear. Um, you know, it gets it gets the message straight across in a way in which clearly um, Jeremy Corbyn's uh, contortions on, on this have um, have kept sort of the nation guessing. Um, and I think I, I know we'll come on to talk about the manifestos, I'm sure. But it, one thing that struck me very interesting uh, about the Labour and Lib Dem manifestos so far is that the, the Lib Dem one uh, mentions Brexit about two and a half times as many times as the, the Labour manifesto, which you know is not at all surprising. Clearly, the Lib Dems have been hoping to capitalise on their clear policy that, that they want to revoke Article 50. Um, but it does strike me as as interesting that in an election which actually has so far been about Brexit, I think, or at least... That, well, Sky News call it the Brexit election. Yeah. yeah Labour don't like that. Labour really don't like it. And and it's they've, they're struggling to turn that narrative around. I think it, for them to, to, to gain, they really need to get people talking about something else. Yeah, and I think they need clear air, which is why, back to the Prince Andrew point, Labour needs... But, Labour just needs a kind of sort of underlying excitement about politics, the kind of hopey change thing, that kind of feeling like now's the time, you know. And I don't think, I think partly there's Brexit exhaustion, partly actually Brexit does need to be resolved. So it is the number one <laughs> issue, and it's hard to argue that, it, you know, it's hard to argue that the NHS is more important, important though the NHS is. But there's also, um, you know, when oppositions win elections, there was a bit of this in 2010, much more of this in 1997, and 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 I'm I'm pretty sure, although I was pretty young at the too, too young at the time to remember it directly, more of this in 1979. You've got to be part of a kind of wider cultural movement. There's always got to be a sense of the country that we've just got to get rid of the people in charge and have another game. There's another way of doing things, and I think there was a, unexpectedly Labour sort of picked that up in 2017. Uh, crucially, an issue where people thought Brexit had been done, and that wasn't the argument of the day. Uh, but this time round. I just, I just, I'm not feeling that 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 surge is there, and that's what all the polls are telling you as well. That 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 that, that Labour, okay, is getting is is sort of stabilised, but is not really making many inroads. And I think that you know, to the extent that there is a wider cultural thing um, going on, it it doesn't advantage any of the parties. It's it's a sort of plague on all your houses attitude. It's a it's a great malaise. It's a um, dissatisfaction with Westminster, but because that's sort of a portion pretty equally um it doesn't seem like the, the tories are picking up any more of the blame on that than than labor or indeed the lib dems so corbyn and johnson tried to set their stalls out in the debates uh, earlier this week but another way of doing that of course is through the uh, manifestos so we've had uh, the lib dems and labor i mean what have we made of that uh, well i think the, the lib dems are really struggling and i think that's sort of worthy of a 
you know, uh, uh, you know, a bigger segment of conversation. I think that you know one of the we'll headlines, one of the headlines yeah. I saw was that you know, Lib Dem policy on cannabis, and Joe Swinton saying, "I'm not, I smoked it, I enjoyed it," which is, <laughs> I mean, it's a kind of sort of fine, but it's a really bad place for Lib, De Lib Dems to be because it's kind of you know quixotic policy. It shows that they're really redolent of a you know narrative around a joke party that they're not to be taken seriously. And I think you know, it is a feature of British politics that, 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 that commentators and the establishment do always take the Lib Dems too seriously and they do always actually struggle, you know, struggle, relatively speaking, in electoral terms. And in the end, you know, this is a party that um, you know, started out with it's probably started out with the wrong strategy or, or a very optimistic strategy, which is to try and project itself uh, with Joe Swinson as a possible prime minister and try and say it could overhaul and replace the Labour Party. And 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 the truth of the matter was they weren't that close to it when the campaign started, and they're far far further away. And they're already starting to pivot away from oh, okay, we might work with the you know we could even work with the Conservatives. I think Ed Davies said if they promised us a second referendum, uh, this is of course in the case of Conservative minority government all of which seems you know highly you know highly mm. unlikely and i think certainly um you know tom might remember more lib dem policies than i do <laughs> I, 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 beyond brexit <laughs> and cannabis, me. <laughs> beyond brexit and cannabis i'm struggling but i think that is that is sort of symptomatic of the position that they're in which is they are they are struggling to be taken seriously well let's stay on the lib dems for a moment so one of the things we like to do on this podcast given it is an ipsos mori podcast is to throw some of our data in there we've had our most recent political monitor out today uh, which has the Conservatives uh, in headline voting intention on 44, um, which is up three, Labour on 28, which is up four, and the Lib Dems on 16, which is down four. But if we, and this is all, when I say down four, this is all on October, from, from October. Um, but when we look at the Lib Dems uh, from, from the sort of longer term, the Lib Dems are on 23 points in September, and they're now on 16. So, Tom, the air is coming out of the Lib Dem balloon, so to speak, at the moment, isn't it? Even though, granted, they are much higher than they once were. Absolutely. Um, I mean, they went into this election with one big gamble, which was that, you know, they correctly predicted it was going to be all about Brexit. And so they wanted to be, uh, you know, in their words, the, the party of, of the strongest Remain uh, offer um, and, and going with this sort of argument that they would revoke Article 50, hoping to sort of um, sweep up a whole bunch of Remain supporting seats in the southeast of England in particular. Um, and that actually, if that gamble paid off, they could possibly do that at the expense of losing some support in perhaps more traditional rural Lib Dem supporting places, uh, which, which might well have voted leave. Um, it doesn't seem to have worked uh, so far, at least. Um, I think there are two reasons for that. Um, one is that they're just being squeezed from an airtime point of view. Um, I think it, it will have damaged them that Joe Swinson wasn't uh, taking yeah. part in that debate. Um, uh, actually, I think that was an odd d decision uh, uh, for the the Tories as well. I mean, I think it can only benefit the Tories to to big up the Lib Dems as much as possible and and, and split that Remain vote between Labour and, and the Lib Dems. Um, uh, the second reason is that uh, Joe Swinson uh, has sort of, or rather the Lib Dems have sort of put all their bets on Joe Swinson and, and plastered her on the side of their bus and it's Joe Swinson's Liberal Democrats. Um, but she doesn't seem to have sort of broken out and emerged as a sort of standout character with the public yet in the way that Jeremy Corbyn did in 2017. Yeah, and her poll ratings, you know, 
no one's poll ratings are good. Everyone's locked in a bit of an unpopularity contest here. But but Joe Swinton's poll ratings are the ones that are sort of falling markedly. Corbyn may well be a unpopular, perhaps the most unpopular leader of the opposition ever. But he, his poll rating is actually going up and, and anyway, generally sort of stable. And Boris Johnson, for, for good measure, is probably the most unpopular new prime minister ever, but is roughly sort of net zero, give or take, on mm-hmm. uh, on, on, on various pollsters' um, uh, research and analysis. So she, she, she really has struggled, and I think they're going to have... Um, they're not... With the offer that they've had, as Tom's described it, they're going to absolutely struggle to make those gains in the southwest. These are Levy areas, um, seats like... North Cornwall and North Devon kind of seats they really want to be winning uh, in. Uh, they might have trouble holding Eastbourne, um, uh, you know, Norman Lamb seat up in uh, up in Norfolk. These are the kind of areas they're going to have difficulty in. Uh, uh, there are, however, some individual seat battles that they could do quite well in, and I think the Lib Dems still got a good chance of doing very well in London, which will be problematic for Labour. Uh, uh, we're all watching Finchley Gardens Green, where the Lib Dems were miles away in, in 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 third, and now Luciana Berger, of course, is standing in a in, in a seat with a uh, in a seat with a sort of large uh, Jewish constituency, uh, uh, amongst other amongst other things, and you know other seats as well in the London area that could that, that they could pick up or be speaking competitive in, and if they were Kensington, you know Kensington or what will happen? That's that could be a three way marginal actually. Um, uh, Kensington now, you know what could happen there? Be very interesting with Sam Gimeo standing against Emma Dent Code, uh, the incumbent Labour candidate, held it by twenty votes last time, so they could do well there. But outside London, it's looking like a struggle. So what's a good result for the Lib Dems now? I mean, we we, we talked earlier, Dan, about how they were setting expectations that they could upend the the political system and Joe Swinson could be prime minister and all these sorts of things. And no one's suggesting that that's going to happen. But I mean, what do you think privately the expectations of the party would be? What's the minimum they should get from this election? Well, uh, look, they ended up with 12, 12 seats at the last election and defections took them to 20. Um, I think they'd be quite pleased if they were sort of if they beat 20 and and I think 30 is kind of the top end of the range to be honest with you and I think the honest it's a difficult pitch for them to make but the honest and truthful pitch for the Lib Dems is you know we're going to be a coalition partner or we're going to moderate uh, the Labour Party or the Conservative Party or something like that that that's an honest pitch that was sort of the pitch kind of the pitch in 1997 actually maybe slightly different then it was a sort of progressive force to you know a pact between uh, Ashton and Blair that's the honest pitch they can make the trouble is if you make that would they actually be doing worse than they are that, that, that's an interesting question it's interesting what a difference a month makes um, I mean a month or so ago I went up to to that Finchley seat Dan was talking about and um, uh, and certainly they are they are looking to do very well there uh, if not take it um, and I spoke to sort of uh, you know, Lib Dem wonk nationally, who who was very excited, uh, you know, off the record and uh, and saying that you know that he really thought this big gamble was going to pay off on Brexit, and that they were talking about you know dozens and dozens and dozens of of, of seats, and um, and I, I imagine the mood in the party has, has totally changed. Yeah, and that. and conversely, I've heard some optimism, uh, growing optimism amongst. Uh, Labour um, Labour candidates, sort of sit- sitting MPs in um, uh, in university seats, in southern seats, who say actually uh, the mood of four weeks ago it was bad. One you know one Labour MP in a seat the Lib Dems uh, have held in in living memory, but one Labour MP told me uh, again in a university seat and just and just said. Uh, look, a month ago it was as bad as it was in the days of Iraq, uh, and actually things turned incredibly fast. And I've met people who said they de- wouldn't be voting Labour now, saying they're voting Labour. So there is um, there is no question that Labour have gained um, to some extent. 
uh, from the Lib Dems. Let's uh, let's go back to Labour. So one of the things that we're doing in this campaign is we've got our Epsos Monitor campaign tracker every week. Um, where we're not in, in this particular survey, we're not tracking voting intention. That's on our political monitor, and we're tracking things like who do you think is going to win, who's having a good campaign, and also favorability towards the parties and their leaders. And um, one number I, I'm, I'm watching uh, quite closely is the favorability ratings of Jeremy Corbyn, because we all remember from 2017 he went into that election extremely unpopular, um, not quite as unpopular as he is now. And as you rightly say, Dan, currently we see him as the uh, most unpopular leader of the opposition ever, or at least since we started tracking this in 1977. And we've, we've tracked uh, how favourable people were towards him last week, where 62% were unfavourable and 23% were favourable. And this week, 60% are unfavourable and 22% are, are favourable. Basically identical. No real movement in any statistical uh, meaningful way. So what's Corbyn got to do? Because he's obviously got to improve these poll ratings. I mean, it's not all about the leaders, but at the same time, it's hard to see someone with that with 60% unfavorables ending up in Downing Street. So how does he turn that around in the next few weeks? I think his problem is that uh, last time around, he really benefited from a novelty factor, um, both in terms of personality and policy uh you know on personality it was you know grandpa's running for prime minister you know it, it was it was an excitement about this character coming from the back benches and and suddenly uh seizing the limelight uh on, on policy terms the manifesto in 2017 was really quite different from what we'd seen in the, in the new labor years um this time around uh, people have got used to him. There's not that novelty factor, but also, uh, you know, with the exception of a, a few little tweaks, um, I, I spent this morning, you know, a, a very fun morning reading the, the, the New Labour manifesto, and uh, it's not that much different to, to the one two years ago. So I don't, I, I don't think it's going to suddenly, uh, you know, set the nation alive. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right, that, that, that certainly there was a novelty factor, and that isn't the case now. And I think that um, whether around the man and around the, pol and around the policies too. So uh, Labour's got, um, you know, Labour needs to sort of think hard uh, about how its campaign's going. They have made, you know, they have made some gains, not a lot, but not a lot. They were polling around, I think, the mid-20s, and now we're in the kind of the high-20s, and there are some polling firms, although I better be careful, uh, you know, about naming them. There are some, <laughs> I think there are the odd polling firm might put them on 30, 31. Uh, but all in all, it, 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 it's, it's, you know, it's been, a real it's been a real struggle. Now, they... <laughs> Funnily enough, I think they are still, um, uh, you know, actually in 2017, the situation was worse for Labour than it is now. And they became, they ended up giving the um, Theresa May a good run for uh, money. But actually, I think, the, you know, the issue here is that uh, Boris Johnson is also a pretty well-known quantity with the British public in a way that Theresa May wasn't. And so I think, uh, although he's far less popular than, than, than she was uh, when the campaign started, I think people have made up their minds about Boris Johnson in the same way they made up their minds about Jeremy Corbyn. As for the manifesto, I agree, not, it doesn't feel dramatically different. Of course, they've had to feel they've had to go a bit farther. And then the question is, have they gone too far? So they've made this you know, eye-catching pledge last week uh, to sort of nationalise various bits of BT, BT sort of open reach, the local, you know, the the the, the, the so-called local loops, the connection between the exchange of the home and, um, and, and give everyone free broadband. And I mean, it, 
it might feel g- good, and I think there are some young people, younger people who are undeniably excited about it, but there are also plenty of older voters who remember what BT was like when it was part of the post office. And I think um, it's quite, it's qu- and it's quite a stretch for a lot of people to think a lot of innovation can come from a state-owned, state-run uh, technology company. You know, it's quite different, I think, when you're talking about water, um, post, um, rail, and, you know, possibly some other utilities. But this... I don't know, it it didn't quite feel like it was radical. It felt like it was perhaps borderline foolhardy. I agree. I think also that the question is how this dynamic plays out in northern constituencies in particular, um, where the Tories really need to pick up seats to compensate for their probable losses in the southeast over Brexit. Um, we, uh, The Economist, have, have published a poll today in Grimsby um, which, interestingly, it has uh, the Tories on 44%, which is only up 2% on last time, but it has Labour down 18% uh, to 31%. Uh, so, I mean, the interesting dynamic there is that, um, in a way, the Tories in those seats don't need to do very much. They just need to hold on to the gains and maybe do a little bit better than they did in 2017, um, so long as it looks like the Corbyn brand is is no longer working. The Brexit Party standing in against Melanie on. Yes, they are. Yes. I think they were on 17 in that poll. But this is a good point because I think there is a narrative around, well, these areas like Grimsby will never vote Tory. But at the same time, they already have voted Tory in sufficient numbers to take that seat if the Labour vote falls. I mean, it's, 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 these, are, these things are relative to one another, aren't they? I mean, let's talk about the Conservatives. So we've talked about the Lib Dems. So in our, our, our poll today, Lib Dems on 16, Labour on 28, and you know, other variations of this with Labour slightly higher and the Lib Dems slightly lower are available from others. But what's striking uh, consistently from pollsters this week is we're seeing the Conservatives in the 40s, not with absolutely everybody, but with most uh, overwhelming majority of pollsters, and comfortably in the 40s. Too. So we have them on 44. So I suppose if you look at the vote shares rather than the gap between Labour and Conservative, it looks like the Conservatives are locking up this 40 plus percent of the vote. And doesn't that make the uh, some form of Conservative victory, uh, if not inevitable, highly likely? I mean, what do we think? Well, there's no doubt 44 percent is a sort of, you know, match winning position for the Conservatives. It is certainly um, with, with Labour at 28, undeniably overall majority territory. Um, the Tories need something like sort of six to seven points to be, I think, clear, to, to be sort of getting confident of having, uh, you know, three to six plus seats and that, that, that overall majority that alluded to Rosa May. Um, having said that, uh, look, they started the cam- campaign more like more like 40 and now they're a bit more like the mid 40s. Why is that? Well, actually, the Brexit, the collapse, of the Brexit party, and the fact that the Farage's party is not standing in conservative seats uh, has helped them. Uh, that, funnily enough, it probably will help build up you know, Tory majorities, increased Tory majorities and safe Tory seats. So there's a sort of, look, no one's going to complain about having been on 44% in a poll, but it's a sort of slightly soft 44%, I would argue. Although, frankly, you're probably only talking about knocking off a couple of percentage points and nothing very profound mm, from it. I think you'd be happy with a with a soft yeah. 44%. Yeah, of course you would. Of course you would. Of course you, would. Um, course you, would. Uh, uh, you know, the interesting thing is you speak to Tory MPs, uh, even in quite safe seats, and they are still kind of haunted by the spectre of 2017. Uh, Which is understandable. Yeah, right. right. Like the total collapse of, of that campaign, particularly over the 
um, social care policy. Um, and so, you know, um, there's, there's always the rider, you know, no journalist is ever going to make a prediction and not say events, uh, you know, and we've still got some time to go. But um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's looking very likely that there'll be a Tory there's, majority. There's, there's two things that need to happen, I think. Labour clearly need to pick, pick up a chunk of share from the Lib Dems. Lib Dems are almost, you know, there's no way the Lib Dems will get, I think, 7.4% they got last time in the, in, in the 2017 general election. They're clearly going to do better than that. And I think there are some, as we've discussed, some local seats where they might do very well. But but Labour does, does need to pick up pick up some share. I think there'll need to be a, a much more overt discussion about tactical voting. And I think that will come to the fore a bit. Uh, I wrote a piece in, in, in The Guardian this morning about the collapse, the utter collapse of the People's Vote campaign, which is basically, you know, fantastically dynamic campaign organizing you know million strong marches and has uh, you know fallen apart in the most sort of you know entertaining almost hilarious um acrimony personality dispute which no one could no one rational could understand who is more than sort of 12 centimeters away from the action um uh, and but they were going to have a 100 c targeted tactical vote campaign they had a fundraising machine they had supporters able to raise 100,000 a week they 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 they're off the battlefield but something will reemerge and i think there will be you know, with the Lib Dems also, I think repositioning themselves a bit as well. We can't, you know, we can't win actually. I think we'll start to see people thinking hard about tactical voting. But there's one other thing that needs to happen, and Labour have just got to find some votes from the Conservatives, and they've got to get on top in places like Grimsby, and they've got to make progress in places like Mansfield in the East Midlands, and they've got to start winning, 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 winning share in the Midlands and the North, and you know, and recovering their position in places like Wales. And and at the moment. That isn't quite happening, but nobody, you know, as Tom says, nobody is going to, nobody is going to write that off. Nobody's going to rule it out because, uh, you know, can Boris Johnson go through four error three error free weeks? <laughs> <laughs> I think we have a visit from the U.S. president at some point to look forward to. Um, so let's let's close them. Final thoughts from both of you. I mean, what what are you looking out for in this next week? So if we take a sort of week by week view, is there, are there any specific events or any or just any specific uh, themes that you're looking out for in the next week? Uh, we've obviously got the Tory manifesto launch coming up. Um, again, I suppose as with the election debate this week, um, it will be that event will be sort of the Tories to lose and, and I imagine they'll be trying to make it, you know, um, the, the blandest document ever published um, and uh, and so we'll, we'll I'm sure uh, Dan and I will be eagerly reading mm. it over our porridge this weekend but I, uh, I can't imagine that it will be uh, very riveting. Yeah, I think that's right I, and I think we're actually going to get an um, even slower period, I think, potentially in the campaign in the next week or so. Um, the, you know, the Tories got no incentive to, you know, they want to produce, you know, have a risk-averse approach, as Tom said. Um, and I think we're just, we're not close enough. You know, the, things get exciting in the last couple of weeks, don't they? Uh, and when people really start to think, I need a new plan or start to crack under the pressure or, uh, you know, a very clear mood settles on what the likely result is going to be. And I think, you know, what is... What is beginning to emerge is a kind of that that sort of initial narrative is set. So you know, cast your mind back to 2015. Uh, everyone, some, some, you know, the feeling was that there would be a Labour SNP coalition. I'm extraordinary when you look at the result of the 2015 election, but that was the prevailing view, uh, and you had to vote Conservative to stop that. And David Cameron won a kind of you know won his won the best Conservative result since 1992. Uh, uh, you know, 2017, conversely, everyone thought Theresa May was going to run away with it. And really, the question was, you know, um, uh, you know, never mind the quality field, the width. And of course, and people, you know, in the last 48 hours, actually, I think Labour got something like a quarter of its votes, actually, suddenly people said, no, we're not having this. So 
that that narrative is perhaps beginning to set and the question kind of, and the question is you know you know and then, and, I, and I think the way it's going to set is we're heading for a Tory overall majority and I think people will start asking themselves um, how much do I want to stop this and that I think is where we're starting to go in three weeks to go we'll have to see uh, where the polls move and what happens in the campaign but uh, Tom Rowley and Dan Sabah thank you very much for your time thank you you've been listening to the Ipsos Mori elections podcast with me Kieran Pedley If you like what you hear, why not subscribe on iTunes or one of the other podcast apps that you might use, or tell a friend about us on social media or elsewhere. And keep an eye out for more Ipsos Mori Elections podcasts in the coming days and weeks. 